All right, y'all, here we go with another edition of the Russell Smith Podcast. Thanks for checking it out. This week on the pod, the play-by-play voice of your Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith. Most of you probably think of Mike's work with the Titans when you first hear his name. But for me, and I'm sure for many of you listening to this, I will always associate Mike with his time in Knoxville and the birth of local sports radio in East Tennessee. So this is a special one for me. Mike was the first sports radio host I ever heard. And his show in Knoxville in the early 1990s was really what inspired me to want to pursue a career in sports radio. So it was really cool to be able to sit down and talk to somebody who had such a big impact on my life. And I hope I didn't fanboy out too badly in front of him. But here's my conversation with Mike Keith. All right, we're here with Mike Keith, voice of the Titans for 20 years. Seems hard to believe uh, it's been 20 years since you left Knoxville, Mike, but uh, d- does it seem like it's gone by that fast to you? It does, Russell. It, <laughs> it, now that I stop and think about being gone from Knoxville that long, it's very hard to believe. My son was not even born at the time, and he is almost 21. So we've been gone for 21 years. My wife was pregnant with him when we moved over, and he was born – during Thanksgiving weekend, and it's the only game I've ever missed since I was with the organization because the game was actually in Seattle. Okay. And now getting to Seattle, it's ironic. My daughter, who's 25, lives in Seattle now. Uh, getting to Seattle is a little complicated. It's not like getting to Cincinnati or Atlanta, you know. No, it's not like driving over here to Crossville. No, just would have uh, <laughs> piled in the car and headed that yeah. way if that were the case. But, uh, yeah, that's that, – wow. It's – yeah. Been a long time. No, it, it is. And, uh, you know, you've been doing it for, for 20 years now. The Titans have come a long way. The city of Nashville has has come a long way since then. And uh, you're originally from the mid-state area. Did you grow up in Franklin? Well, I'll take you back another way. Okay. I was actually born at St. Mary's right there by Fulton High School. Really? My family's all from Knoxville. Okay. My parents went to Fulton. And um, I lived in Knoxville three separate times. And my dad and my brother are in trucking. They now actually own their own truck line. But at the time, my dad worked for various truck lines. And so we moved a lot. We moved 11 times the first 10 years of my life. And so we left Knoxville when I was six and ended up moving to Chattanooga. I lived in Chattanooga for four years. And then we moved to Franklin when I was 10. And so I, I grew up in Franklin. I think probably where you go to high school is where you're uh-huh. quote unquote from. Sure. I mean, that's what you think of. And then I was in Knoxville for 12 years doing, you know, going to college and doing radio and, and television and things like that. And then I've been back in the mid-state for 21 years. So I've always kind of considered myself from East Tennessee and from Middle Tennessee because I have so many ties and so much family yeah. in both places. A lot of my younger cousins from East Tennessee have moved to Middle Tennessee because Nashville's the, if you're young, Nashville's the place to be. Sure. And uh, you are, we'll go ahead and, and ask the David Keith question. Sure. How, how are you guys related? Are you cousins? We are third cousins. Okay. And the story is there were 13 children, and they were, the, one to 13 were 23 years apart. Okay. David's grandfather, my uncle Lim, was 20, 21 years older than my grandfather, Gilmer, who was the 13th. And so- the, the story is that during the Depression, my grandfather dropped out of high school 
after his junior year because he had to go to work. A lot of people had to go that to work. Fairly common. Yes. Then. And my Uncle Lem took my grandfather in and said, you need to finish high school. And so after a year of working, he went back and finished at Knoxville High School and then ended up getting a, a good job with General Foods and had a nice career. And, you know, you think about your your family and how your family develops and things that happen. If David's grandfather had not been so kind to my grandfather, who was basically like his son because they were yeah. 21 years apart, what would it have meant to my family? So I saw David uh, last month in Knoxville, and we stay in touch. He just did a movie on Hallmark Channel. Okay. Uh, Graceland, Wedding at Graceland, and he's doing really, really well. So I'm, I'm incredibly proud to say that David Keith is my cousin. When I first got hired by the Vol Radio Network, they put in the Knoxville Journal, a guy named Dennis Tuttle wrote in the Knoxville Journal that we were brothers. <laughs> so that caused a bit of confusion. Well, it, you know, what's funny is how people get something in their mind and it never changes. Yeah. So people have said for years, David Keith's brother. I mean, it's been written and said in different places and people will see me, Russell, and they will say, hey, how's your brother doing? <laughs> well, I have a brother and I'll say, well, he's doing fine. He's, you know, the truck line's doing well and. And they'll look at me and kind of give me a strange look because they're talking about David. Uh -huh. They're not talking about my actual brother. But yes, we are cousins. So how much older was he than you? David's, uh, David's 13 or 14 years older than I am. So, so you guys didn't grow up playing tackle football in the backyard didn't or anything Didn't grow up. Like and that, and that okay. part of the family, too, was because there were so many of them. And David's family is from South Knoxville. My family ends up being from North Knoxville, really from Fountain City. Uh-huh. And so we, you would know people to see them. And what's so funny, and this is such a, a great East Tennessee story, everybody in East Tennessee named Doyle I'm related to. What? Because of the – South Doyle? Or, maybe so. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. But so I met somebody two years ago on campus who was working in – I think she's working in the alumni office. And she said, we're cousins. And I said, you were a Doyle. She's like, yes, I was a, <laughs> before I got married, I was a, I was a Doyle. So yeah, I mean, it's a hundred percent. I'm related to tons of people. So large really, family. I'm yeah. going to tell you, it helped my ratings when I was there a, a bunch. People always said, Hey, what was the sports talk key to rating success that I was related to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> so everybody was, was beholden. They had to write down, they had to write the a show down. on yes. that when they got the arbitrage. They book. did. That's actually not true. So <laughs> please no one uh, sue me over that. So what was your childhood like growing up, a uh, big family? Were you always into sports? Always into sports. Uh, that was 100%. My dad put me into ball when I was in first grade and you know, started listening to John Ward when I was in second grade. That was the sophomore year for Ernie Grunfeld, the freshman year for Bernard King, and it was the senior year for Condridge Holloway in football. My favorite player was Larry Seavers, who was the great wide receiver. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, got into all of that and, and mostly got into listening to John Ward. That was sure. the, the big part of it. And then I played all the way through high school. I gave up basketball in high school uh, in large part so I could start doing broadcasting stuff. So I did broadcasting during the winter and then I played football and baseball. So those were the two sports that I took part in actively. So, so you kind of knew pretty early on that broadcasting might be something you wanted to get involved with. It was the only thing I ever knew for sure, is that that was what I was going to do. If you talked with someone who grew up with me, 
and you force them to make a guess as to what my profession would be had I not done this, they would tell you they have no idea. Because I was the guy in class who did the math problems as a play-by-play guy and, you know, got on the PA system. Did you do the morning announcements? (laughs) You know, we didn't have – it wasn't that formal, no, but I did stuff – like that, uh-huh. you know, always, I mean, it was always very apparent. And like I said, I started working for the cable access station in my hometown when I was 17. Oh, wow. W-A-G-G. Yeah. WAG TV. And uh, I did basketball games and I hosted a talk show, very exciting talk show. So bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and, and I just, I knew what I, I knew what I wanted to do. And. Did, was you going to UT always a part of that? Was that the, the next step after high school? I felt like that would be the step. I had a chance to play baseball uh, a couple of different places, and um, I, my heart wasn't in it. And I also had a chance to walk on at Tennessee. John Whited was the coach at the time, and he offered me a chance to walk on. And, I mean, you know, you're, I guess you would say preferred walk on. I mean, he asked me to come out, uh-huh. so I was probably going to make the team. I don't know that I'd ever played. Uh, UT baseball wasn't fantastic, unfortunately, in those days. And Coach White had got fired during my freshman year. But I just wasn't uh, – I wasn't excited about it. I was i was excited about broadcasting. And when I got on the student radio station, when I got on WUTK, that, that became my world. And I started volunteering for every – and then and then we had a show called This Week in Big Orange Country, a TV show that I worked on. And – I pulled cable for the for the basketball replays, which used to be on WSJK Sneedville, uh-huh. the uh, the public station. They used to show the basketball replays, and I worked with the camera operators pulling cable. I mean, it's just it's really what I wanted to do. And then got a chance on the Vol Network, and the other big break for me was I got to before computers, you would call the Knoxville News Sentinel Sports Line. And you would get all the scores off the Knoxville News Sentinel sports line. And they would hire somebody for three sixty-five an hour to record the scores. And I used it as a practice for doing sportscasts. And, okay. so, and so I would be in there and would watch TV and would study and whatever. And, you know, Knoxville being Eastern time, a lot of times the West Coast games aren't done until 2, 3 in the morning. So I would stay in there and would, would do those updates regularly. And um, that's how I got my chance to do morning sports is one morning Alan Williams was sick and they had me fill in for it. So, and that was on radio. Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Is that WIVK? WIVK. All right. So uh, you're, you're in school, you get in with WIVK and the vault network crew. Um, when you, as you're graduating, what, what are you wanting to do at that point? What are your options? That's a great question. Um, I interviewed for the director of broadcasting job at East Tennessee State. I was going to be their play-by-play guy and work in their marketing department. And the greatest break that I ever got was they did not hire me. And it was a it was a big surprise because it looked like John Ward had called him on my behalf and Coach Dickey had called him on my behalf. And, uh-huh. and so it looked like it was all lining up. And it was one of those things where you have that expectation and I'm going to go be the voice of the Bucks, and this is going to happen. And I didn't get it. And it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because what did happen, not any anything to do with East Tennessee State, doesn't have anything to do with that. But WIVK 
made me start selling sports talk. They said, this is how you're going to get paid. You're going to sell your own show. So you're already doing sports talk at, at I've this been point. Doing, yeah, I started doing sports talk when I was 21. Wow. Can you believe they gave me that what, show? When what I was, year is that? 89. 89. And Alan Williams, was he started the show. The original host, okay. September 1, 1988. Alan got the job at Channel 8, which he still has. Uh-huh. And because of that, Alan was working a splitter. He would do the morning sports, and then he was coming back in to do sports talk. Sports talk started off as 7 to 8 every weeknight, except Tuesdays, because we carried NASCAR Live. We carried Eli Gold and NASCAR Live. So when Alan got the job at Channel 8, he wanted to come off the night shift. He didn't want to do the show, so they gave me the show. I was producing it for him. I would answer the phones in one room, write down the name on a slip of paper and walk across the hall and hand it to him. That's yeah. how very high tech, very high tech. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so Alan, um, got that great opportunity at channel eight and it, they gave me this opportunity. So I had been doing the show for two years. I'd been on the vault network for four years. I had done pay-per-views. I had uh, sidelines on pay-per-views and, um, you know, been doing a few things. And so I feel like they're calling me in after this disappointing news from ETSU to say, congratulations on finishing your degree. Now we're going to make you full time. And uh, instead, I didn't become full time for four years. But what happened is, turned out, I could sell. And when you're desperate, you can. Yeah. <laughs> it's really amazing when you don't have any choice, how you can do it. And Again, I don't know if I'm a great salesperson or not. The point was I sold because it had to happen or else I was going to get out of the business because I didn't know what I was going to do. Yeah. I had no I had no backup plan. And I would not have gotten the opportunity with the Titans had I not had the sales experience that I got, which is why I say not getting the East Tennessee State situation is like the Garth Brooks song says, thank God for unanswered prayers, because I wanted that situation so badly, and I was not ready for it. I didn't know that, but I also needed this opportunity to expand my horizons and take me in a very different place. Well, and at this point in time, you know, sports radio, it's not what it is now, where every city has two or three stations right. and it's live and local all day long. Sports talk in that time was the only sports radio show. And, you know, people did not have any idea what this genre was going to become. Jim Dick did. Mr. Dick, who owned our stations uh, before Citadel took them over, he got what talk radio would become. Because when the journal shut down, the Knoxville Journal shut down, he decided that we would go full out all with a news talk station. And so that's how Halloran Hill got what he got. And obviously, he's become wildly successful. And it, it became every day. Uh, initially, they put us on 6 to 8. And then we moved 515 to 8. And then after um, they decided to move Hal to mornings, they put us on three to seven, and uh, I remember when the, when the show moved to three to seven. Th- that was a, a pretty big deal. It was a huge deal. Yeah, it was a huge deal for us. You're right after Rush Limbaugh, who was huge at that time. You know what was interesting about that was that we thought that would be a great thing, but it turned out that Rush's audience is really loyal to Rush. Uh huh. And so they come at noon, 
they leave at three and they don't always stick around. So we would have to rebuild our audience. And it, it kind of changed how we formatted what we were doing with the understanding, because we thought we need to program hard for right at three o'clock. We need to put our best stuff at three o'clock because there's going to be this massive audience. And what we found was there was not only mass, no, you know, it was almost nobody. They, 15 minutes to go, you know, they started leaving and they were gone. And really? so we were starting over. I mean, it's a different, I mean, he's, he's wildly successful and has people follow him in such a different way. So it, it became a challenge that we never saw coming. Uh, it wasn't that they didn't like us. I'd like to believe they didn't not like us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was just that it was from a radio standpoint, from a technical standpoint, how we were going to build that audience was going to be a trick. And we figured it out. It took us it took us some time, but we figured it out. So uh, sports talk um, went went really well, obviously. And you know, you mentioned Alan Williams founding that show. You're kind of looked at as uh, the the godfather, I guess, of local sports radio. Really, in Knoxville, uh, to me. Well, I, Mike, I remember. Can I being, get that on a jacket? <laughs> you should. That would be awesome. Well, I remember. I, I was telling you beforehand. Being, I was in sixth grade and listening to Vol Calls, and you're hosting it. And you said, you you know, you did a promo. Hey, by the way, be sure to tune in tomorrow for sports talk, like five to eight or something. And it, it was like, wow, this guy talks about, he does this every day. That's was, his job. It's pretty great. Yeah, it was. It, it seemed pretty great at the time, too. But you find out when you get into it, there's more than just that. Like, it, it, you know, had no idea what selling was well, when and, I was that age. And the selling part of it made it difficult from the standpoint that you couldn't prepare the way you wanted to because you had to be out on calls or following up or writing commercials or whatever. And that becomes more important than the actual content of the show where things really changed for me dramatically was when we started to have some success and when the, when the entire station really started to have some success. And part of the reason that they added the station was that we were what they added the other programming was that we were making money off sports talk. So they thought, Oh boy, we can make money off other things. They added rush first. And so WIVK AM for a period of time was Rush Limbaugh noon to three, Mike Keith seven to eight, and then the other 20 hours were a simulcast of FM 107.7. So then when they decided to totally split them, mm -hmm. you know, they, they got to a point where they said, you know, part of the reason is we can make some dough. We'll have a morning show. We'll have a midday show. We'll, you know, we'll really make some money. Well, part of my deal is because I was selling spots that didn't cost very much, you know, $25, whereas the WIVK spots were much more expensive. I could go anywhere and sell any client. So I could sell Coke and Pepsi. I could sell Miller and Budweiser. I could sell Ford and Chevy. It didn't, you know, it didn't make any difference. That's not how a real radio station works. You have a client list, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so when they brought in a sales team to sell this, they told me, they go, oh, we're going to have to give you a client list. And I'm like, nope, that's not going to happen. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you told me that I had to sell this. And I did. And now it's successful enough that you're in a position where you can do this other. And so then you're, you're, you can't take money away from me 
because you asked me to go do this sure. three years ago. And Bobby Denton was great about it. He said, you know what? You're absolutely right. He said, you're, you're 100% right. And so they, they more or less took me out of full-time sales at that point. And so I had some clients that I worked with, Rick McGill's Airport Toyota. Rick was always my guy. And Sports Treasures, Eddie Barkley was always my guy. I mean, people that I worked with regularly, I stayed with. Uh-huh. But for the most part, I didn't have to sell anymore. And that gave me a chance to then concentrate more on the broadcasting. So it was as if Bobby made me earn that right. And I'm very thankful for that. I mean, it was a, it was a great thing. How, how much time did you spend preparing for the show? Like what was a typical day in, in sports talk in the, in the 1990s? I would go to bed every morning between 3 and 4 a.m. Night owl. And then I would get back up 8 or 8.30 and would start the day and um, would, would basically roll through. I would, when I got the Titans job, I, I had a physical and the doctor came in, female, and she said, um, are you trying to die before you're 40? And I said, I, I don't understand what you're saying. She said, your weight's terrible. Your blood pressure's bad. She said, you're, you're, you're 30 years old. And it was because I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. Because I, I was to the point, I was so consumed with sports talk that there, I mean, I had to stay up. I, I waited for the Sentinel to come online to make sure we wouldn't be beaten on a story. I, I would go into the office, rewrite a story, and then go back home uh, for John Wilkerson's morning sportscast if, if there was something else. I mean, it was just, I was consumed. And, and what talking to Brent Hubbs about what is our guest list, talking to Cody Allison about this, talking to anybody that worked with us, and they would tell you, I mean, I don't think Brent was terribly brokenhearted when I departed. <laughs> I know his wife wasn't because, I mean, I would call him at, at any hour of the day. It was, it was all consuming, but it was the only way that I knew how to do that. And um, I guess I would do it. I mean, I would certainly do it differently now. I don't know that I could have done it any differently at that time with what my personality was like because I just – I just felt like we we had to be successful at all times and we had to be on top of everything and we couldn't lose any story and we couldn't miss any guest and you know it was it it was wanting to be as good as we could possibly be. Did the doctor's advice have any effect on you? I mean did yeah. that scare you straight? It did. I, I had to change. And the the Titans job probably did save me health wise because it was a much more and still is. It's a much more regular schedule. You know, you travel some and you're and you're busy. And it, I mean, it's not 40 hours a week per se, but it's not like what that schedule was like at that time. Because when I was trying to do all of those things and do the Vol Network shows and do Tennessee baseball, and I was doing play-by-play, they let me do play-by-play because I sold it. And because the radio station was making money off of it. So that was how I got to do high school football. That was how I got to do Tennessee baseball. That was how I got to do things with the Smokies is I went out and sold it. And that was extra stuff that didn't have anything to do with my day-to-day job uh, because I was trying to get that play-by-play experience. Is it safe to say you enjoy play-by-play more than hosting the call-in show? 
no doubt. Yeah, no doubt being in the, you know, in the, in the venue on Sunday and the, you know, the excitement, uh, the pageantry that goes with it, um, the energy that you get, there's no, there's no question about that. But I enjoyed the process of, I enjoyed hosting a talk show. I, I really, really did. I, and I'm getting some of that. We're doing a podcast now. It's the official Titans podcast. We call it the OTP. And I'm really getting that same sort of sensation out of the OTP because you can kind of get deeper into things with yeah. people and you have the opportunity, like what we're doing, where you're having more of a conversation. You don't have to worry about stopping as much. And you can you can sort of uh, delve into things in that way. The other thing where I get it too is I've, I've become a lot more involved in television in the last 15 years. Okay. When I, Russell, when I started in the business, you picked. You picked television or you picked radio or you picked newspaper. And that was it. And now you don't really do that. If you're in this business, you're going to do some of all of those things. You're going to write. You're going to be on camera. You're going to be on the microphone. It's it's just going to happen. And so I didn't really start to get doing – I didn't get a start doing television until I was probably 35 and I've really come to enjoy the process of learning about how to do that. I like broadcasting. I anytime I get to broadcast, I'm happy. When you were doing the the show, you mentioned covering story, breaking stories. That's mm-hmm. what got your juices going. It sounds like did you did you like the relationships with callers? Did you like uh, the guests, the interviews? What what was your favorite parts of oh, actually the, being on the air? The callers. I enjoy. And, and, you know. Sports talk radio right now is not nearly as much about the callers. You don't at, at that time. I mean, we would do, you know, double digit callers per hour on a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. And now you'll hear some shows and they'll get maybe one or two callers an hour. And mostly it's two or three guys or, or two guys and a girl or whatever sitting around discussing. And they'll be responding to questions off of social media and things of that sort. But, in, in that time, I mean, it was the flat-out callers. And so they brought a challenge that was just fantastic because you, you never knew where they were going. You didn't, know whether, you didn't know what they were going to ask you. You didn't know if they were going to like you, if they were going to not like you, uh, how they were going to challenge you. I loved that part of it because that – I guess for some people, it's like jumping out of an airplane. Mm-hmm. For, for me, the jumping out of an airplane was – opening up and saying, let's go to Sam on line three and, and see what was going to happen because you truly did not know. And on our show too, you know, we developed a, a, a list of callers, a, a group of people who would, you know, regulars. Sure. And that was fun too, because you knew that they were going to bring the hammer because they had their own following. And so they wanted to, you know, make whatever statement they wanted to make. And, we planned everything we laid out with the idea that our callers would be able to have access. We we tried to have as many guests, and sometimes you'd get like, we got some great golfers right after they won big tournaments. Mm-hmm. Well, we might have to tape those segments. Okay, but I'm not going to turn down Nick Price after he wins the British Open because I can't take a call with him. But for the most part, I wanted our audience to be able to have the chance to talk to our guests. Were there... Um what were some of the moments that that stood out to you as far as I, um, the other thing that was big about that time is Tennessee was really good, really good in football. 
and that has not been the case the past 10 years, but the interest level. I mean, I remember the, the Florida weeks listening, listening to uh, sports talk. It was can't miss. It was um, it was overwhelming in some ways because you would think about this. You're trying to think about what are you going to do? Because what you could do, Russell, if you wanted to, is you could just show up and just roll. Mm-hmm. Just say, hit it, callers, 656-9485. Just hit it and, and then just go. I thought that was lazy. I wanted to plan a show. I wanted to do guests. I wanted to do angles. Um, we we would bring in fans of other teams and give them an hour. So if you were playing Alabama, Jim the Alabama fan. I remember that, yeah. And I loved that guy. He was such a good person and a nice guy. And he would come in and he would give it right back to the callers. A guy that I went to to high school with uh, who moved to town to work for train, was living in town for a couple years, Vandy Andy, and he would come on during Vanderbilt week. And so I I wanted to do something different all the time because you couldn't talk about, okay, is Peyton Manning going to throw for 300 yards? You couldn't do that for four hours. And then remember, I was doing a show on Saturdays and I was doing a a call-in show on Sunday mornings. And it's like, man, Russell, you you just don't want – you want to give people something different. And so we would sit down and say, how can we make this better? We sent Brun Hubs to Gainesville. We – did, we did, you know, all of these different things, trying to make it more interesting. And, you know, sometimes you'd do something that was kind of funny, but that was never sort of where we lived. That really wasn't who I was, because I don't think I'm very funny. So goofy, funny didn't really work for me. Whenever I tried to do that, it felt forced. So mostly we just kept it sports related. Some guys do that really well, yeah. and, and I really enjoy it. Uh, and and I'm jealous because I've just never been able to do that. Very well, well. It, it seems like your your strength back in those days was your mind was. It, to me, it always seemed like a steel trap. I mean, you were very prepared. Your memory was very good. Is, is that something that was always just came naturally to you, or is that the byproduct of reading a lot and committing to memorizing stats, facts, figures, things like that? But. Um, Mother, who was an English teacher, and so our big thing in our house was during the summer is you had to read for 30 minutes a day. You could read whatever you wanted, but you had to come in from playing outside, and you had to read for 30 minutes a day, and she felt like that kept us sharp for the next school year, and so I read every sports book that I could get my hands on. I read every media guide. When the Athlon would come out, I would go crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, It's funny to me because when football time in Tennessee comes out, uh, I have a friend who has a son who's 12, and I'll get him a copy of Football Time in Tennessee, and he devours it like I used to devour yeah. stuff when I was when I was that way. And you know, I wish I could tell you I had a lot of big interests and hobbies. <laughs> I re- I mean, I really do because sure. it would make me sound better to people, but I I still don't. I mean, this is what I really love and what I loved then, and. So I was a student of it. I mean, it didn't just come. I mean, I'm no genius. Trust me. I mean, if you saw my grades, you would know. I, <laughs> I, I was no, Nobody would be handing me any academic scholarship at any point. But about this, I was so invested that it, it didn't feel like work. One thing I remember that stood out was uh, the Peyton Manning Heisman fiasco. I still got one of those keep your stupid t- trophy t-shirts somewhere back at my parents' house. But uh, I remember you guys had on – 
you had on some writer or somebody who had voted for Charles Woodson and you just, I mean, you, you held his feet to the fire there for a, for a good 10, 15 minutes. Well, my problem with all of that was then and, and is still today. I think Woodson's a great player. Woodson's going to the Hall of Fame. Of course. Um, you know, I mean, he, he, deserved, he deserved to finish second, which would have been a great accomplishment like Hugh Green. You cannot equate a defensive back who plays a few snaps of offense and who plays special teams to a quarterback. You just can't. And if you look at the draft, who's going to go first in the draft? Kyler Murray's going to go first in the draft. It, so that, he had the exact same statistics as Danny Werfel did the year before. And you don't give him the Heisman Trophy. And then the next year, a guy actually does play both sides of the ball. Champ Bailey literally played regularly on offense and had like 50-something catches and then played on defense. And you don't give him the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there was I think there was Peyton um, – not envy. I think there was – I think people, because he declared to come back for his senior year – and because he was so made available and got so much press, I think a lot of the national media was sick of him by that time. And I think it's still a shame that he didn't win the Heisman Trophy. I, I really do. I, I think that's, that should have happened for him and for Tennessee. Uh, and uh, Tennessee fans at that time will, I mean, they'll take that one to the grave. You know, I, sure. I'm still mad about it too. I was uh, in high school back then and uh, will be mad about it forever, but you know, there's something about the passion of the Tennessee fan base that the Greg Schiano stuff, the the trailer park frenzy, whatever. I mean, Tennessee fans have, you know, it, it wasn't just since the invention of Twitter no. that Tennessee fans have been sometimes overly passionate about the Vols. Yes, I think that's, <laughs> I think that's 100% right. And I, I can say that because I'm one of them. Sure. And I grew up one of them. I mean, my grandfather played for General Nealon and um, – my dad was going to play for Bowden Wyatt and Torrey's Achilles. And so, I mean, I, every one of my relatives who's ever been to college until my son uh, went to Tennessee. So uh, my son's, I don't know about him, but anyway, <laughs> um, but they, you know, I mean, overall I, I get it. And when I, and, and I got it when I hosted the show. And I mean, I think that was a secret to it was that, we Brent Hubbs is that way, and Cody Allison is that way, and John Wilkerson is that way. Is that when you've sort of grown up around it? You know, John's dad was a longtime professor on campus, and so I mean, it was a, the whole thing is when you have that tie, you understand the passion and the energy and what people are interested in. You know, where we really blew the thing up, and the decision that we made that was a hundred percent right was what we did with recruiting. Because we went crazy on recruiting. And at that time, people made money off 900 numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't allowed to do a 900 number. And there were a lot of reasons for that, but that's a long story. But because I wasn't, I had to pour all of my information into sports talk. Uh And so recruiting, our ratings months were not the fall months where we made the biggest, hey, January was our biggest rated month of the year. One of the months I was there, we actually beat WIVK in men in January, which at that time was unheard of. But, I mean, people were that interested in recruiting. There's no rivals 247. Right. You got to go to the radio. It was Bill King. 
Bill King in Nashville. Who, New, New Sentinel wasn't really covering it. Well, that's no, that's not true. Jimmy okay. Hi, Jimmy Himes was phenomenal at okay. it. Mike Strange was phenomenal at it. Uh, Dan Flesser was really good at it. And us, and I mean, we competed like crazy. They got some, we got some. But the thing was, they weren't coming back out. I mean, once the Sentinel came out at whatever time, they weren't coming back out for 24 hours. Yeah. So we had, and there was no website for them to update at that point. There was, so we could go at it for those 24 hours from 6 a.m. to, you know, whenever the paper hit, whatever, we could just go. And that's where we tried to win. Uh, we tried to, and we, like I said, we would wait before the online version, the Sentinel started coming out. We would wait until the paper came out before we went to bed. We'd go to Walgreens on Kingston Pike. I had figured out where the first, where the, where the truck dropped the first really? set of paper. Yeah. See, that's cool. <laughs> that, that is a little OCD, Mike. Oh, that's beyond <laughs> OCD. I, I think that's just crazy, but that's the way it was. Yeah. We, we wanted to win. And Jimmy Himes was that way. Jimmy Himes wanted to win. And th- that was something that I cr- – and then when Chris Lowe got to the Tennessean and they stationed him in Knoxville, he wanted to win. And so, I mean, it was just an all-out, you know, free-for-all all the time. And, and the, the fans were the real beneficiary because they had several outlets who were going at it in this way, feeding what they really wanted. And that was the- – and, and, I mean, think about this, too. At that point, you're landing hero after hero after hero oh, in yeah. recruiting. Yeah, it was, it was huge. I, I remember some of the recruiting battles that uh, that Tennessee lost are the ones that stand out. To me, the two biggest ones were Ron Mercer and Tim Couch. And I remember following those recruitments for it seemed like a you know years. Yeah, when we covered we covered both of those, yeah. and I could tell you. Pretty good stories about both of them. Uh, the Tim Couch thing was really interesting. I mean, Brent Hubbs was all up in that one big time. He went to Hyden, Kentucky to see Tim Couch. And, you know, we 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 followed everything. You know, the first one really that was so big that doesn't get enough credit was Heath Schuler. Because they don't get Peyton Manning if they don't get mm-hmm. Heath Schuler. Heath Schuler changed the game because Tennessee had never recruited that five-star quarterback before. And and it really came from the fact that Tennessee was the last single-wing school. Tennessee and UCLA were the last two single-wing schools. And so Tennessee was always kind of behind the curve on the drop-back yeah. quarterback, and Shuler changed all that. And I drove uh, the morning that, that Shuler announced his commitment, I drove across the mountain in the WIVK van and it had snowed on top of the mountain. Oh, yeah, that wasn't a little I, treacherous. Yes, I wasn't really aware that if it wasn't snowing in Knoxville, that it might snow up <laughs> in the mountains. That was how blank I was. I was very young, and so I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going to crash the WIVK van, and then this guy's going to go to Alabama, and they're going to fire me, then shoot me. <laughs> and when he committed, Dan Flesser and I were the only two local media members there. But Flesser had no way to get the word out. So I called back into the Bob Thomas show on WIVK and announced that Heath Schuler had committed. And they got calls all day long about that. Wow. Yeah, recruiting was was huge. As, so as your show is gaining popularity, blowing up, um, you're working with the Vol Network. You're doing Vol calls, some of the, the pregame stuff like that. Did you ever think that you might be a candidate 
for John Ward's job whenever he hung it up? Not at that point. When I got here to Knoxville. Because the Titans are still yeah, the Oilers yeah, and but, we don't know that. But, I mean, John had so humbled me, I had stopped thinking about that years before. When I got to Knoxville as a freshman, I told people that I would be the next voice of the Vols. That's how obnoxious I was. <laughs> um, and, and, I mean, there were a lot of people who did that. Uh, that was 1986. Um, but by the mid nineties, I knew, no, it was, yeah, it was not going to be me. I, okay. I, I was well aware of that fact. John, uh, for one thing, I thought John would never quit. I thought, why would he quit? He'll go on forever. He's still great. I mean, he, he if, if he lost something off his fastball, it was like one mile an hour or two miles mm -hmm. an hour. I mean, there were things, you know, towards the late nineties, there were things that he didn't do quite as well as he once did, but it wasn't noticeable to the public. If you're in the booth with him for 11 years, maybe you saw that he didn't quite pick up things as quickly as he once did, but it was not a, it was not noticeable. He was still very much at the top of his game. So was he kind of, uh, obviously a, a big name, but you, you sound like you were almost a little bit intimidated by him. I was at first, and then I got to the point – I mean, I, I, I totally was at first. But then when I realized that he was not – just just being a, a good guy was not going to impress him. He didn't care about that. He didn't want – no, he didn't have a bunch of pals running around. Mm -hmm. I mean, you because you worked with him, you were not his buddy. Yeah, that was not how that worked. John was very standoffish from the standpoint that he was – very serious about what he did, and he took it seriously. And once you came to understand kind of how he was, you're like, oh, okay. So then I was just able to be myself. And I was the one who would stand in the back of the booth and do my thing. And, you know, he would say something to me, and I would come back at him a little bit. And maybe I would, I don't want to say sass, but I would, uh, I wasn't afraid of him anymore. And then he started to like that. He liked the fact that I wasn't terrified of yeah. him, that I was basically being myself instead of being what we used to call Eddie Haskell after the character on Leave it to Beaver, who was a, a real jerk behind your back, but to your face, he was to the to Beaver Cleaver's parents. He yeah. was always very polite, but to everybody else, he was a real jerk. Well, once you stop being Eddie Haskell, like, oh, Mr. Ward, it is so great to see you. <laughs> once you drop that. And you just talk to him like yourself. He really liked that. And so by the end, by the end of my time with him, we had not gotten like really ultra close, but I could tell he respected me. I certainly, you know, loved him and, and he was my idol and it was, it was really, really good. And then by the end of his life, we had gotten to a very different place as well, which was uh, really special for me. So tell us about the Oilers hmm. at the time and how you got hooked up with them. And, you know, they moved in, I want to say, 97. They played a, a year at, um, was it Vanderbilt or in the, in the Liberty Bowl? Played in Memphis in 97 yeah. and then played at Vanderbilt in 98. I wrote a letter to the president of our company, Dick Broadcasting, when we got the rights. And I said, if there's anything I can do with the Oilers broadcast, I'd like to do it. And so they gave me a 15-minute show in 1996. Uh, that was when the team was still in Houston, and that was for all of the local affiliates in Tennessee and in Kentucky and Alabama 
who carried the last year of the Houston Oilers. They had set up the network, and so they were offering them the Houston Oilers games. And so I did a 15-minute pregame show for them for just our affiliates. In 97, I did the scoreboard show from Knoxville while the team played in Memphis. So, So I was their scoreboard host. And then in early 1998, they offered me the job. And after several months of kind of going back and forth, uh, I took it and I departed in May of 1998. And that, have you always been a huge NFL fan? Huge it, NFL fan. Okay. Even more than college or no, just about the no, same? No, 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 no. Uh, a bigger college fan. But the, the weird thing was um, when I worked at WIVK, the only time off I really had was Sunday afternoons. That was it. And so I would, for my hobby, watch pro football. Uh-huh. And really, not a deep guy. I mean, we're, <laughs> you're you're expecting something. He he paints. He sculpts. <laughs> he he gardens. No, he watches more football. Um, but I really love the NFL, and I became fascinated with the NFL too from the business model standpoint. I, in our part of the country, the NFL was not number one. College football is number one, mm-hmm. but. The NFL is so massively number one throughout the country. And I was fascinated by that. I was like, wonder why that is. And so I read a lot about it and how they market and why they do what they do. And so the opportunity to work within the NFL fascinated me. I didn't go looking for it per se, but I just fell into a situation where I said, okay, I've just turned 30. Uh, I've done sports talk for nine years. John Ward's not going anywhere. Um, If John Ward left, what I thought would happen was that Bob Kessling would get the job and that I would go to Channel 10. That's what I thought would happen. Interesting. So you thought uh, TV might be the thing. Oh, I thought that's where I would go next. And I I think that's probably what would have happened is if I stayed in Knoxville, I think I probably would have gone to Channel 10 at that moment. So, you you know, and that would have been another really good opportunity. But this was just, you know, it was intriguing. And everybody in my orbit said, don't do this. You've got a sports talk show. It's up and running. You're making good money. Huh. Uh, they said, don't take this job. Don't because you don't know what this is going to be. And it was it was one of the things is as more people told me, don't do it. That made me want to do it more because I needed a um I needed a mountain. I needed a. I needed a challenge in that way, because I, I think I had done about all with sports talk we could do at that point. I, I, the other thing that was talked about with sports talk is there was talk about moving it to the mornings, and that fascinated me. You know, to counter program some other things, there was serious talk about moving sports talk to the mornings, and I was really interested in that. And uh, maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't. But the the bottom line was this was just such a good opportunity, I couldn't pass it up. So you get the job, you you take it. <laughs> Your friends tell you you're crazy. Yes, they did. <laughs> but you get to Nashville, and uh, you're in the NFL, and you've watched it since since you're a kid. I mean, what was that? Must have been a, a thrill the first time you went to. Soldier Field, Lambeau, you know, wherever Russell, you got to go. It still is. It, it still is that to, when we get to go to these places, when we go to Philadelphia on August 8th and I get to walk into that stadium, I'm just going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. And we'll go to Soldier Field on August the 29th. And I, I will just think to myself, you've got to be kidding me. This is just 
an amazing thing that we're getting to do this. I can't believe it. So it is, uh, it's beyond exciting the first time I get to see these places and it remains so. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. No doubt about it. I mean, is there a favorite venue that you have that you get to go to? There, there are a lot of, I mean, I love going to Baltimore because the, the press box is really low. And so that's, it's easy to see, Mm -hmm. which is nice. Uh, but also because the fans are right there on you and they will scream at you during the entire course of the broadcast. I mean, like in your face. Really? Oh, yeah. And and that's fun. I mean, it's it's good because it becomes a game of how much I can ignore them. <laughs> and I'd imagine if you pay any attention at all, that only pay, encourages it further. It, it absolutely does. Pouring gasoline on the fire. There huh? is. You are 100% correct. Uh, Denver's a great place. Uh, I think uh, we get a chance to broadcast in New York, MetLife Stadium, which used to be the Meadowlands, is a great venue. I mean, so many of these places, the only place that's not a great venue is in Miami because they've stuck the broadcasters in the corner of the end zone really? and and they have glassed it in and they have put a canopy over the seats and so – there are all these shadows on the field because the canopy over the seats at different times of the day, and you're looking at it through glass instead of having a window open. So, I mean, the the angles are horrible. The other thing they've done there, too, is the camera position is on the side of the field opposite the press box. So when we're looking at the TV, it's reversed. It's reversed. So, huh. it, so it is nightmarish. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, it's places are just wonderful and you've been in nashville during a period of just exponential growth for that city in that area and um it's really amazing to see how that city has changed since the titans arrived it's been really incredible because a few weeks ago they held the nfl draft in a spot where when i got my driver's license in the 1980s i was told not to go because it was so dangerous. And 30-something years later, that spot, First Avenue at Broadway, is where they hosted the NFL draft. That gives you an idea of how Nashville has changed and expanded and grown and become a really special place. So it goes from a spot where there are all kinds of drug dealers and people who will you know, shoot you or whatever – to a place where families were running around enjoying yeah. and, and people from all over the world were enjoying it and really do all the time. Now it's um, it, it's been so much fun to see it happen. Um, the city continues to expand in terms of TV market size, not just population, but TV market size. It's on the verge of being a top 20 national market. And who would have ever seen wow. that? Yeah. Some Nashvilleians I know say, it's, it's growing. It's too much. The traffic is too bad. Traffic Please don't, is, don't come to our city. <laughs> traffic is awful. I mean, it's, it's quite different. I remember when um, we, lived on, um, we lived in Crestwood Hills. That's where, that's where our home was, in Crestwood Hills. And it used to take me like nine minutes to get to the radio station. You know? And I thought that was a long time. Yeah. Take me some days 20 minutes to get to campus. And my commute now is close to an hour each way. And it wasn't that way when I first got here. So you have to pick your spots during the day when you're going to go. I mean, it's quite different. And and it's not all good, but the, the overriding part of it is good 
because you see all these special things that are happening and that's and that's made it really neat you talked about during the sports talk days how obsessive you were about preparation and and just living the job 24 7 what what's your process like for the titans obviously that's a it's you know 16 game regular season but i would imagine you know you want to get that right because it is it's less time so i would imagine you want it to be perfect well, I'm still obsessive, but I'm able to do it over a longer period of time, and I've learned that uh, I can set it down now. But I, I prepare all year round. Like this week, I was working on the Philadelphia Eagles because we have f- the four preseason games. And honestly, Russell, the preseason games are harder to call than the regular season games because you're going to have 90 players on the roster, and most of them are going to play. So you've got to be ready. You know, when you're just calling a game – and Tom Brady and Marcus Mariota are going to be the quarterbacks for the whole game. That's you can handle that. Sure. You know, the running backs are 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 going to be the same for the whole game. Well, in the preseason, you're liable to see four quarterbacks and eight running backs and you know, 20 guys making tackles. It's a lot and, of looking down at the roster right, and who's that. Right. And so and you've and you want to do a good job. Now, the nice part is when the regular season comes, you're ready. Because it's almost like you take the exam before you take the class. Okay. So you're so you're ready, but the preparation really is year round. I have a, a binder that I that I keep updated at all times. You know, I do my own bios of our players. A, a lot of the things that I do, um, I wished I'd done in school. Because they say, you know, if you study all the way through instead of just the night before, <laughs> you'll do better. Well, it really is like that. So I try to spread it out as much as possible. I'm still a little too fanatical about some things, but I do know after 20 years what my process is and what's important. You know, the thing that's so nuts now is, I mean, if you wanted to have every stat in the world about every player, it's available. Yeah. And I've realized you don't need them all. You know, there's something I don't know what all the coverages are called. I don't know why certain things happen in certain instances based on, you know, the, the cyber metrics or whatever, because that's not going to apply to what I do. What I'm doing is my most important job is telling you who has the ball, where they're going, who tackled them, how far they got and what's coming next. And so if it doesn't involve something related to that or the story of the player, I try to, I try to stay away from the other. So when you say like you're, you're working on the Eagles mm-hmm. this week, are, are you watching games? Have you got the Athlon magazine? Are you trying to memorize roster? What, what does that so entail? So I've built their roster. I've built uh, their two deep at this point. I've done their bios for the players who will play. And like, I don't do a bio for every lineman. I'm doing a bio for, for guys who are going to handle the ball. And then for some of their star players, you know, for some of their, for Brandon Graham, who they just signed to a three year, $40 million contract. And then for us, I'm doing, like I said, a bio for every player because I want to know every backstory and, I, I will get to the – so when I get to the week of, my goal is that I don't have to build a lot of things, that I just have to make changes, and that I have the opportunity to get the newest stuff in there, and I've got the older stuff already in there. So if you were 
I don't. What I found early on is you don't want to have to spend the week of the game doing the deep dive. Mm-hmm. You want to do the deep dive in April, May, and June. So it's almost like a review once exactly. the season starts. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Because you're, if, if you've got all of that done, then you can spend all of your time on the current stuff, reading articles, watching tape, things of that sort. Which is what I'll do the week of the game. What do you think the the future of radio play-by-play is? Obviously, every NFL game is televised, but now pretty much every college game mm-hmm. is televised too. Um, do you think that radio is obviously we're going to the internet and the apps and everything? Do you think that good old-fashioned tower broadcasting a signal is going to be – how? Is that going to be around for the foreseeable future? Yes, you, okay. I, I do, Russell, and, and I, here's why um, – we are into immediacy in this world. And radio is still immediacy when you talk about appointment listening. And sports is the ultimate appointment listening. Yeah. Uh, Rush Limbaugh is. Howard Stern is. There are certain programs, you know, certain shows where people want it specifically. But live sports is appointment listening. And not everybody can spend a Sunday afternoon in Knoxville from one to four sitting in front of the TV mm-hmm. watching Channel 8 broadcast the Titans and the Colts because you got to cut grass and you've got, you want to be on the boat one more time and you've got the kids at soccer practice and you've got to run to the grocery store or whatever. And so having radio there is still more important than ever. The, the ironic thing that surprises some people our ratings have gone up over the last four years. So where people would think they would be going down, I think this push towards I want it and I want it now helps what we do. Now, music radio, that's a different, that's a different story because you can get your music a lot of places. But in terms of that appointment listening with sports, it's still very much there. And I think if we keep doing a good job telling the story, I think people will keep coming. One of my last questions here was, what are your hobbies and interests outside of sports? You've answered that a couple of times. Well, I, I can't tell you. Yeah. I, do, I do have one hobby. Okay. I, I watch way too much HGTV. Really? I do. I had a shoulder surgery, and it was my right shoulder. And I got home, and my wife put me in the uh, Lazy Boy and you know, taped the ice pack to my arm you know, to where I couldn't move it and everything. And she propped me up. And she put the TV on HGTV. And so I'm like, I am not watching this. This is horrendous. What, <laughs> what, who are these people and what's going on? Well, the problem is it's my right arm. The recliner lever is on my right side. I can't get to the lever. So I'm forced to sit here and watch HGTV. After an hour, I'm like, well, I like those captains. It's not bad, huh? <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that floor is absolutely fantastic. And so my dream now is to host a show on HGTV. I don't want to quit what I'm doing. Like a, a, a fix it or flip it type yes. show? Okay. I, would, I would love it. Yeah. And Deron Jenkins, who I covered at Tennessee, I covered his recruitment. I mm-hmm. covered him in arena football when the three years I did arena ball. He was with the Titans for a year, as a matter of fact. He now does Nashville Flipped. He does, he has one of those shows, yeah. and he is very good on it. But that's yeah, I love HGTV and <laughs> and mystery stuff. I like to read. Okay. I like to read um, a lot of mystery stuff. Uh, John Grisham is my favorite, and okay. 
I watch a lot of uh, Dateline, Cold Justice. Law and Order type stuff. Like that type of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah so I do have those things that I'm into. So I'm not as, uh, I guess I'm not as one dimension. I don't watch a lot of sports. That's what's really surprising. If it, if I'm there, I really love it. And I love to go to live sports. I still like to get to Knoxville to stuff. And I still, you know, I've been, I bought season tickets when Rick Barnes got hired as the coach. Uh, because I'm a, like the biggest Rick Barnes fan in the world. I thought we were hiring him in 1997, and I was so excited uh, because I just think he's awesome. And so to have him as the basketball coach, I had to give up my season tickets because when my daughter graduated, we just didn't get there enough to use them. Yeah. But I did. I mean, I bought season tickets. The minute they hired him, I bought season Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love to I love to go see the Vols play basketball anywhere because, I, I, like I said, I started off a Tennessee basketball fan more than a Tennessee football fan. Well, you know, you, we and when people would get on me, they'd be like, "You like football so much better than basketball." It's like, no, you're wrong. Yeah. Well, and you were doing sports talk, and as good as the football program was oh, at that time, the basketball program was the disaster. polar opposite. My last year was Jerry Green's first year, and they went to the NCAA tournament, and it was a great experience mm-hmm. because I got to cover some good basketball. For the first time in my entire time there, but the basketball was abysmal and it was so bad. And it was such a disappointment because, like I said, people would get on me. They would say, well, you just don't like basketball. It's like, no, I don't I don't like bad basketball. I don't like basketball teams that score under 40 points. That's but that's why I love, you know, I love what they do now and the, love the style of basketball. I like the way he coaches. I'm a, I'm a fan of him personally. I, I think he's a good man. But I, I love uh, the guard play that they have, the way, you know, the spacing, the different things. It's uh, it's sort of an ACC yeah. style, which is not surprising because he's from Hickory, North Carolina. But I, I just love it. While we're talking about it, I don't typically like to talk about sports on these things, but what's your take on UT football right now and just what it's been through? And do you, do you think we're, we're any closer to Jeremy Pruitt getting things headed back to where it used to be? I don't think there's any doubt. I got to hear him at a clinic this week, as a matter of fact, and I was blown away. I I totally get why Philip Fulmer hired Jeremy Pruitt after hearing him speak at this clinic. Because what jumped out to me, Russell, was the way that he taught the coaches. And there were all these high school coaches. He was at Mike Vrabel's clinic. And the way he taught these coaches – what he was doing, the way he talked about it was so understandable. Not not simple, but just it was like, okay, we're going to move this piece and we're doing this here. And you can hear how he works with the kids. And then he said, now, th- last year we didn't run this coverage quite as much because we didn't have enough players in uh-huh. these areas. We were young here, so we helped these guys by running this coverage. And I mean, it was just so phenomenal. And the people that I really respect, like Dave McGinnis, former NFL head coach who does Titans Radio, he says this guy's a great football coach. Watching his schemes, he says he is a a super football coach. It's about players. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And they're going to get more players. Uh, they're, They're working on that clearly. But when you get down, it's hard to get back up if you don't get things right. And they didn't get a couple of the coaching hires right. Uh, a couple of the coaches didn't get the recruiting exactly right. Uh, a couple of the assistant coach hires were not right, you know, as it turned out. 
And that's unfortunate. But you got Jim Chaney back, and Jim Chaney's a really good coach. The quarterback, Garantano, is a better player than what people know. And to have a returning quarterback with experience, I think this will be the year where it gets back on track. Not predicting 10 wins, but I'm just saying this this team, 2019, I think Tennessee will look like Tennessee again because you'll see Fulmer's vision and you'll see Pruitt's vision in this team. Well, that's very encouraging. Mike, uh, just wrapping up here, we like to end these things with a little bit of story time. I'm sure you have some some great ones, whether it's in the booth, uh, radio days back in Knoxville, in the booth in Nashville, or uh, with players, coaches that you've you've covered. Do you have any uh, funny, humorous, clever stories that you can share with us on the way out here? Man. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure which ones I can tell. Yeah, it's a podcast. I mean, it's, I know, but there, but there's there, no FCC regulations. Yeah, here. but there are people still alive. That's the that's the whole the yeah. whole, whole bag of it is you don't want to give away too much. I, I think some of my favorite stories. My favorite. I give you my favorite Peyton Manning story. Okay. So it's the summer of 1995, and Peyton Manning is going to be a sophomore. He's the starting quarterback. Brandon Stewart's transfer. Uh-huh. He's the starting quarterback. He puts up notes all over, I guess, uh, the, it wasn't Gibbs Hall, but the football complex. We're going to do practice tonight. You know, everybody, and you better be there. You be, don't, and, and. This is not optional. This is not, yeah, pretty much. That was it. Well, they had to tell him, you can't tell guys that. You can't say that because that's going to look like the coaches are making you do that. And that's, you know, you really can't. Uh-huh. That's so Peyton. So he does get together. He gets everybody out throwing. He's got all kinds of different guys around running and doing all sorts of things. And this was before all of that happened. This was before everybody went to summer school. This was before, I mean, this is when all of it started. And it was something that turned out to be really big, even though he had left when they won the national championship. I think a lot of the things he put into place from a mindset standpoint that Al Wilson carried on and others carried on was a big deal. So I snuck out after sports talk, and it was probably 7.30, because I was just going to watch him throw. And I walk over, and there are a couple of linemen standing there, and they've been running gassers, and so they are just out of it. But they're standing there watching him run this drill, and they're, they have this strange look on their face. And what he's doing, Russell, he is – faking handoffs to Jay Graham and Sean Bryson and whomever else, all the running backs. He has got them running into the line, off tackle, whatever, and he is faking handoffs. He's working on his play action. It's the most boring thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Ten minutes we stand there. He never hands the ball to a player. He takes a snap. He turns to his right. He fakes a handoff. He gets to a five- or seven-step drop. He goes back, he takes a snap, he goes to his left, he fakes a handoff, he takes a five, seven step drop. It's the same thing every single time. He's got spots marked for where he's supposed to end up and things like this. And the two guys, and of course, I'm not going to say a word because I'm just a visitor or whatever. Sure. The two guys are standing there. By this time, they've caught their breath. And one of them says to the other one, what in the hell is he doing? (laughs) And the other guy says, he's making millions of dollars. Wow. And 
And he was the best play-action quarterback in college. Yeah. And he was the best play-action quarterback in the NFL because nobody could make it look like a running play like he could because he never he never he kept the ball out as long as he possibly could. He took the exact step all the time. It never looked to a linebacker or to a safety like that. Oh, this is going to be a fake for sure. You had to wait that one half second and he would have you. That was the secret of him. And it's still the secret of Peyton Manning today in everything he does. I did an event with him last fall and he's still exactly the same way. He was that way about how we were going to do that event. What do you think he's going to do next? Whatever he wants. I, I think that's the whole key to all of it is he's going to continue to search for that thing that feels 100% right. And then, and he's not going to let himself get tied into anything. He, that's what he doesn't want to do. Is to, that's why he's not doing Monday Night Football because it, he's got the two small children, life's good, uh, being a dad – uh, it, it's hard to make that commitment because you leave out on Friday. You're not back until Tuesday. The Monday night job is tough. Uh, the, the Sunday jobs are easier because you generally leave on Friday and you're back on Sunday night. The Monday night job is tougher because you're generally leaving out on Friday and you're not back until Tuesday because the game ends yeah. so late. So that's a, that's a hard job on a family man. At the, if you don't have kids at home, you know, that's it's it's really okay. Are you surprised? I mean, this is going into the third year, I guess, that, that he's been retired. A lot of people figured, ah, he might take one year off, but it's Peyton Man. He's got to do something. No, because he really doesn't have to do something from the standpoint that he's still around football so much. Okay. He's spending time with college. You know, he's with Cutcliffe. He's back at UT. He's doing things with his brother. He's He's got Arch, the nephew, who's an eighth-grade quarterback now, uh, you know, Cooper's son, and and he does things with his dad, and and I mean, he's got all these friends. He's playing golf with Tiger Woods, and he's he's got a great life, and he has the freedom. And of course, I mean, if you're going to line him up to speak, I mean, you're shelling out some dough. So no, I think I think he is doing what he saw his dad do, which was be Archie Manning. Uh-huh. He is being Peyton Manning, and. There will be a moment where I think he will take something on in a in a more substantial way when he feels like it's a hundred percent the right thing. He's a he's a marvel. I mean, being around he and Pat Summit and Steve McNair and really Eddie George too. Um, being around those four people, such a thrill to to be around people of that ilk who are just so different, so. You know, Eddie George is such a star. Oh my goodness. I mean, Eddie George, I mean, he's great. He's great in theater. He was a great football uh-huh. player. He's a great pitch man. He, he, he turned himself into a good broadcaster. It's not the best thing he does, but he's become a good broadcaster. Um, all of those sorts of things. And then McNair was otherworldly and Pat Summit was, I mean, let's face it. She's the best. Oh, the, yeah. She's my favorite sports talk guest. Easy. Mm-hmm. Easy. She could talk about anything. Well, Mike, uh, we appreciate you talking to me, man. I, I've told you before, like you're pretty influential, 
to, to my career back in the day. So it's, it's an honor to sit here and hear your story and uh, really appreciate the time. Well, I'm honored you would ask. Thanks for uh, making time to, to have me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. There you have it. The great Mike Keith on the Russell Smith podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can send me some feedback via voicemail. Just click on the link in the show notes and let me know what you think about it. And as always, if you want to throw something in the tip jar, just go to anchor.fm and search out the Russell Smith podcast. And anything you might want to throw in will go right back into the production of the podcast. I'm hoping to buy some new mics and other items to help improve sound quality a little bit. So uh, hopefully we can keep cranking these things out. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks again for checking it out, folks. Keep checking back for new episodes, and we'll do it again soon.